Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Um, okay, let's thank our patrons for the week. Okay. Thank you guys so much for donating over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. If you go there, you will get access to like a hundred bonus episodes, uh, that we are always updating. So head on over to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene if you're interested in that. And this week we had Catherine, Nicole, Tatiana, Sam, Michelle, Rachel, Allison, Jeffrey, Teresa, Gustavo, Ursula, Susan, Cynthia, Nisa, Gabrielle, Roxy, Leela, Sophie, and that's it. And thank you guys to everyone who also sent messages oh, yeah. on Patreon. And Michigan Arachnids, that is, they do sell spiders. I can't believe how smart I am. Michigan Arachnids... He knows us from when I was on the horror show. Right. And I texted Sean this week because the horror show ended. And I texted him. I was like, now I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that one of your listeners came over to us. But now I'm really sad thinking about how the horror show doesn't exist anymore. Right. Yeah. So, I was wondering what happened. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, but thank you for listening to our show now. That's so yeah, cool. I love nice that. It's nice that you moved over. Yeah. Thank you. Do we have anything to talk about before we get into this absolute bummer of an episode? Well, do you want to hit anything on the Met Gala? Or well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just that today. I'm just gonna put it this way. The best tweet, like the best take that I saw today about the Met Gala was that Sandra Lee already did camp the theme in 2014 when she showed up in her outfit at the Met Gala. And I highly agree. What was the outfit? Uh an outfit only Sandra Lee would wear to a I red carpet event. I can't believe she went to the Met Gala. That must have been at the height of her powers. Dude, <laughs> her, this ridiculous Cinderella ball gown that she had on, it was like, and the most prom hairdo. It was, oh God. It was an outfit that only Sandra Lee would pull out. Right. It was fucking perfect. It was like the tablescape of outfits. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> um, I have way too many hot takes about it because okay. camp is obviously something that's near and dear to my heart. Right. Yeah. It's not enough to just be cheesy or over the top. Yeah. So whatever. It's a, yeah. It was an interesting fail. It, there was a lot the very of very few people hit it out of the park. There were a couple people that I think nailed it and that were like, oh, you get it. Right. But I think. But I also think, like, yeah, 90% of the people on the red carpet look great. Right. Do I think they were campy? No. No. But I do think, uh, like, everyone looked fucking awesome and, yeah. and fabulous. Definitely. So that's my hot take. Ooh, All right. Sizzle. Well, <laughs> now, here's the thing about this story that Desi's going to do today. Uh, I had no idea until about, <clears throat> like, 30 minutes ago that she was doing this case. <laughs> 
And when she told me she was doing this case, I was like, oh, that's the case I outright rejected on our Facebook page when someone suggested it like a couple weeks ago. They're like, hey, would you ever consider doing the Susan, oh wait, Sylvia Likens case? And I was like, absolutely not. I'll never do that case. No way. And I felt really bad for being so like blunt about it. I right. wasn't being blunt to the poster. I just was like, I, I, there's no way I could ever do that case. Cause I would never, like, I can't even, I can barely read through the information on that right. case without vomiting. So, uh, then when Desi <laughs> told me then when Desi told me that she was doing that, I was like, Oh, that's, that's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> A smirk on her face. Well, I mean, I'm just hoping you don't faint again. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to faint from this. That is a very specific thing that okay. makes me queasy. This is like not that. This will just make me enraged. But you know it's, what? Yeah. We had a really lighthearted episode last week. So we're this is going to be more of a it's heavy It's probably like one of the times one. we can do it after an episode, like the Food Network. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, as Rachel said, this episode has been requested. I didn't see this particular post she was talking about a few weeks ago. But I have seen it before. It's very dark, and I always was trying to figure out a, a time to do it, and it just never quite seems right. Right. Especially after our darker show. Right. But since last week's was sort of lighthearted, um, as Rachel mentioned, it was a perfect time to ruin your fucking day with this story. Thank you. I will be in t- um, discussing intense child abuse which I will do as delicately as possible, but as you all know, I'm feral, so I probably still will not do a great job. Um, (laughs) If you want to listen but are concerned about that, I'll give a warning about it when I'm about to go into the more intense stuff. So let's get into it. This is the tragic story of Sylvia Likens, and this spawned two movies that I'll get into uh, at the end. Sylvia Marie Likens was born January 3rd, 1949, and was the third of five children, and she was actually born um, to carnival workers, Lester and Elizabeth, and she was also born between two sets of fraternal twins. The older pair was Diana and Daniel. They were two years older, and then one year younger than her was Jenny and Benny. Whoa, so her mom and dad had two different two sets, sets of, of twins. twins right so the lichens obviously they're carnival workers they're dirt poor and she had a pretty unstable life like her parents weren't bad parents but they were moving around a lot because right. they were with carnivals you're not making a lot of money um they're also not even like carnival like attractions or stars they literally like sell beer and soda they're like the lowest level do you know what i mean they're like the minimum wage workers at the carnival basically but that was their life they eventually stopped liking their younger daughters jenny and sylvia um being around the carnival and they began to have concerns for their safety just because it's like a you know it's like a weird environment for two young girls to be in so because of that they started leaving the girls with relatives so they could kind of continue their school and not have their lives interrupted by this carnival lifestyle. So Sylvia was one of the younger girls? Yes. Because there was a younger boy, Benny and Jenny, (laughs) but Sylvia, the two, the two youngest twins are Jenny and Benny. Okay. Okay, Look, I didn't name them. (laughs) Rachel's giving me a look. So Benny, they were, I guess they were fine with the boy. Like he used to help them out. Yeah. But the two girls, they kind of wanted to put in a more safe environment. From all accounts, Sylvia was a responsible and sweet child. As a preteen, she began earning extra money babysitting and doing chores for neighbors, and she would actually give part of her money to her mom and like to help her family out, which is really heartbreakingly sweet. Yeah. She was also described as friendly, confident, lively, and she was just a typical teen who loved the Beatles, like 
that's her deal. Right. She's also very pretty, but at some point she did lose a tooth in an accident, which kind of made her self-conscious about smiling, which is also very endearing. She was known as Cookie. She was also very protective of her younger sister, Jenny, who had suffered from polio as a kid and had a limp. So she kind of had some bullying and Sylvia really took her in and kind of always looked out for her. One story I saw was that um, when they would go to like a skating ring to roller skate, Jenny would have a skate on her strong leg and Sylvia would hold her by the hand and like help her navigate with her weaker leg Mm. that was weakened from polio. Yeah. So that's just to give you an idea that this is a very sweet girl. Um, So in June of 1965, her, her parents had gotten divorced at this point. Um, This Sylvia and Jenny were living with the mom at this time in Indianapolis. And on July 3rd of 1965, their mom got arrested and jailed for shoplifting. So at that point, the father, he arranges for his daughters to board with a woman named Gertrude Banaszewski. Sorry, Banaszewski. And she was the mother of two girls who the sisters had become friends with at some point. So she's like a local woman. The kids, their kids were all friends. Those daughters' names are Paula and Stephanie. Shortly after July 4th, the sisters move into her home at 3850 East New York Street with the understanding that Gertrude would receive weekly boarding fees of $20 to care for the girls until Lester could return home and take his daughters more towards the end of the year. So now a little bit about Gertrude and where she's coming from. Gertrude Nadine Benesuski was born on September 19th, 1928 in Indianapolis. She also had like a troubled life. Basically, um, she witnessed her father dying as a child. He had like a massive sudden heart attack in her presence. Six years after that, she drops out of high school at the age of 16 and marries 18-year-old John Benesuski. They quickly have four children. So she has four children by a very, like by her early 20s. Um, Their marriage is not good. She's often, like, beaten by him. He has a volatile temper, like, this whole thing. But they stay together for 10 years before they get divorced. Now, after the divorce, she remar- uh, she gets remarried to a man named Edward Guthrie. That marriage lasts three months, and it's also a tumultuous, beating, whatever, horrible marriage. She actually remarries her first husband, and they have two more children oh, at wow. that point. They divorce a second time in 1963, and weeks after that divorce, she begins a relationship with a 22-year-old man named Dennis Wright, who is also physically abusive. Now, how old is she at this point? At this point, she is, I think, 35. Okay. She has one child with Wright, and his name is Dennis Wright Jr., and uh, shortly after the birth of this child, he kind of bails. She tries to get child support from him, but, I mean, at that that time, once they're gone, I don't think there was a real court system set up to kind of get those men to pay child support. Like, she's just on her own. So now it's 1965. She's living alone with seven children. Paula, 17, Stephanie, 15, John, 12, Marie, 11, Shirley, 10, James, 8, and then Dennis, who was basically a few months old. Wow. That's quite a handful. Yeah. Um, Especially uh, as a single mom. Yeah. So she's 36 years old at this time. So maybe I had my years wrong there. Uh, People had described her at the time as being very underweight. She had asthma. So... She had some health issues related to that and kind of looked haggard. She was a chain smoker, and she also suffered from depression. 
just some of that. So she background. wasn't doing terribly well. Right. And she also had a recent miscarriage. Um, also adding to everything, she's fucking broke. Like she occasionally receives child support from the first husband, but it's very off and on. It's yeah. not enough to, to support the family. Uh, she does odd jobs, sewing and cleaning and stuff like that. And that's probably why she agrees to take in Sylvia and Jenny. Her rent at the time was $55 a month. And the father was saying, I'll give you $20 a week to watch oh, the girls. Oh, wow. So that's quite a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it's covering the rent and then some, and then obviously the food and whatever. During the first weeks that Sylvia and Jenny were living with Gertrude, everything was going great. They were... Um, helping out around the house. They played pop records and singing along with the kids, like whatever, charmed life. They even attended Sunday school. Like they all went to Sunday school together. So Sylvia was getting along with her new siblings or her foster siblings. Right. Things started to go south when Lester began to fail making his $20 a week payment on time. Nothing major. It would just be a day or two late. And this would send uh, Gertrude into a spiral. Like she would become extremely frustrated uh, and yes, this woman is clearly like evil in my mind and you'll yeah. see why later, but she's also dealing with way more than she can handle for sure. Like she has seven kids on her own plus the two and she's in financial straits. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like putting this type of person in a situation that is already high stress. Like it's just aggravating everything. When the father started becoming late with these payments, and like I said, this is a day or two late. It wasn't like they weren't coming. Right. It just would send her into this tailspin. She began to spank the girls, both of them, Jenny and Sylvia, with a paddle, saying things like, well, I took care of you little two little bitches for a week for nothing. Like Wow. So that was how she kind of started taking her frustration out. On one occasion in late August, both girls were beaten approximately 15 times because Paula accused Jenny and Sylvia of eating too much food at a church supper that all the children in the household had attended. So this is at the point where her kids started also being like little tattletales. Probably like we talked a bit about this before, but it's probably an instinct to kind of save yourself from your abusive from mother. From your abusive mother, start pointing the finger at the other, like Take the, inter- the, the interlopers, right? Right. Like, but that was the girl they were friends with, by the way. So it is extra bitchy. So the abuse talk will start getting more intense now. So if you want to skip ahead, this is your opportunity. I'm going to be delicate, like I said, but if you feel like this isn't for you, go ahead and skip ahead a little bit, maybe 10 minutes. Um, but I feel like it's important to the story and to yeah. acknowledge what she went through. Um, so by mid-August of 1965, Gertrude had begun to focus her abuse almost exclusively upon Sylvia. With her primary motivation, people believed that she was kind of jealous of Sylvia's beauty. Like, Sylvia was very cute, pretty little girl. Yeah. And Gertrude, at this point, is like a haggard I've 36. I've like, of her. I mean, whatever. Like, so... Um, The initial abuse included subjecting Sylvia to beatings and the refusal of enough food. Um, So a lot of the beatings and abuse would would stem from accusations that Sylvia had somehow misbehaved. Or she was was sneaking food. She was sneaking food. She did this. She did that. Like she told someone. Like it was always like accusing her of something. Not that there's ever an excuse, but they always were. Like she always looked for a reason to do it. Right. For some reason. So. 
On one occasion, Sylvia was accused of stealing candy she had actually purchased on another occasion, so she was subjected to humiliation when she admitted that she had once, I'm sorry, she was also subjected to humiliation when she admitted that she had once had a boyfriend. Upon hearing this fact, Gertrude's oldest daughter, Paula, who herself at the time was pregnant and jealous of of Sylvia because she was slender, right, because she had gained a lot of weight with her pregnancy, uh, Paula kicked her, Sylvia, in the genitals and accused her of being pregnant. On one occasion, as the family ate supper, Gertrude, Paula, and a neighborhood boy named Randy Lepper force-fed Sylvia a hot dog overloaded with condiments, including mustard and spices, and Sylvia vomited afterwards. Then they forced her to consume her vomit. Oh, my God. So that's the first time a, a neighborhood boy is brought into this picture. Sylvia was later falsely accused of spreading rumors at the high school they all attended that that Stephanie and Paula were both prostitutes. Not that this would excuse anything, but right. this is not, these are all just such clearly lies. Right. This provoked Stephanie's boyfriend, a man named Coy Hubbard, to physically attack Sylvia while Stephanie um, watched and giggled. So she brought her boyfriend now into the scene to kind of beat her up for spreading these lies about her, which she did not do. On another occasion, Paula hit Steph- Sylvia in the face with such force that she broke her own wrist. She later had to wear a cast, which she also used to hit uh, Sylvia with. Gertrude also falsely accused Sylvia of engaging in prostitution. Now, this is something where she really brought in this religious element. Like, she would berate her with these misogynistic sermons, like Sylvia calling her she's a filthy prostitute, women in general are filthy, like all of this kind of like demented. It was like Carrie's mom. Exactly. It's totally Carrie's mom. I was also thinking of um, Sybil. Yeah. Like that kind of abuse where you're just taking out on the daughter for being sinful. Gertrude, at this point, she started getting Jenny to strike her sister. Oh my God. Threatening Jenny with... Like, if you don't do this, you'll be beat. So, I mean, that is just fucking fucked up. Like, I can't even deal. Poor Jenny. Right. So, as I've kind of touched upon earlier, the insane thing about this already horribly insane, horrible case is that how many people outside of the home were involved, became involved, and there's more people that would become involved in this torture of Sylvia Likens. That's the thing that always baffles me about cases like this. I mean, obviously, this is a unique one. Right. Um, uh, but there, this isn't like the only instance we've seen learning about true crime where there are several people involved right. in some kind of abuse. It kind of reminds me of the um, Mysteries of Macabre episode we I did. was going to say yeah, that. Where it's like you're bringing all these other people and in. And no one's saying no one's doing anything about it right everyone's scared of someone or or another or they're just going along with it because they don't care yeah it's something that's that's what we were talking about is like what is the psychology behind it right so coy hubbard who's the boyfriend and several of his classmen class if his classmates began visiting gertrude's home to both physically and verbally torment sylvia they would often collaborate with Gertrude and her kids in, in this process. The active encouragement of Gertrude sort See, of fueled the these neighbor, neighborhood children. That's like, the thing that's wild to me is it's like, okay, so we talked about could it be that her other children participated in this because partially like 
because they were scared of their mother. But the fact that neighborhood kids are coming in who have no relationship with this mom other than they know her, but they don't live under the same roof as her, how they're being coerced into doing this or they're doing it on their own volition. Like what, that is what's so creepy to me. Right. Cause you would like to think that even if you were offered the chance (laughs) to abuse someone, you'd be like, um, I'm okay. Yeah. You'd be like, uh, that's really like, why are they thinking it's so fun and cool? Like they're obviously dealing with something, you know what I mean? I, I'm sure a lot of people didn't do this who maybe knew about it. Um, and then those to those people, it's like, oh, my God, why didn't you fucking go to the police or say anything? Right. Right. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, as I said, this is all with Gertrude, like, being the ringleader. Like, come on, kids. Like, she used to let them use um, Sylvia as sort of, like, the dummy so they could practice their judo sessions on. Uh, one incident that's a very famous, horrible incident is that as for the entertainment of Gertrude and all of her teenage accomplices, uh, Sylvia was forced at one point to strip naked in the living room and insert an empty Coca-Cola bottle into her vagina. The Lycan sisters were fearful of notifying other family members or adults at the school of the increasing abuse and neglect they were enduring because both of them were afraid that doing so would worsen what was happening to them. Jenny in particular really struggled with not notifying her family members, especially because it was happening to Sylvia. Right. But she was constantly being threatened by Gertrude that she would also be, like I said before, abused and tortured to the same degree as her sister was. I mean, she's not only physically abusing these girls. It's mental torment. She's mentally tormenting them as well. Right. And Jenny was sort of being bullied in her neighborhood. As I said, she didn't have Sylvia anymore to really protect her because I think at some point Sylvia does stop going to school. Yeah. So she's kind of suffering some bullying and beatings just from the neighborhood kids. On one occasion, the girls go out to a park and they encounter their older sister, Diana. Like she's at the local park. Sylvia is given a sandwich to eat by her sister. Sylvia remains silent about the sandwich, but the the younger daughter, Marie, reveals it to Gertrude, who accuses Sylvia of engaging in gluttony. Um, At that point, she and Paula beat and choke Sylvia, and then they subject Sylvia to a scalding bath to cleanse her of her sin. Shortly after that, an anonymous call is made to the high school that the girls attended, reporting a girl with open sores across her entire body living at Gertrude's household. Sylvia, as I said before, had not been attending school in the recent days before this call was made, and someone went to the house to investigate this uh, charge. Gertrude obviously meets them at the door and told them that Sylvia had run away with, um, from her home the previous week. And she was unaware of where she was. She, um, told the person that, Oh, those sores are because, uh, Sylvia has really bad hygiene. Like, so she basically blamed it on Sylvia. The school made no further attempts to investigate Sylvia's welfare. You're kidding me. Especially if it's a runaway kid. Right. Even if, even if like, that's the story that they got and they believe that it was a runaway, you like, do some investigating, right? Well, I mean, I'll get into it a bit at the end. Oh, my but, God. So about October 1st, Diana, the older sister, actually does become a bit worried. She visits the home and attempt to initiate regular contact with her sisters. Gertrude refuses Diana entrance into the home, and she says that she has received permission from her parents to not allow her to see the girls either. Oh, my God. She then orders uh, Diana to get up, you know, get the fuck off my property. Due to the increase in you know, frequency of these beatings and abuse, Sylvia actually 
becomes incontinent. She was denied access to the bathroom and then gets forced to wet herself. Um, as a form of punishment before coming for becoming incontinent on October 6th, Gertrude throws Sylvia into the basement and ties her up there. Here, Sylvia was often kept naked, rarely fed, and frequently deprived of water. Occasionally, she would be tied to the stairwelling in a torture rack fashion with her feet barely touching the ground. Oh, my God. I'm skipping a few incidents here because they're just too fucking horrible to repeat. And after what I've already told you, you know that that's really saying something. They're just, I don't know. I can't. We get it. Yeah. yeah. So Gertrude basically makes this abusing and tormenting of Sylvia, like, it's like a pastime. It's like watching your favorite TV show. Like, it becomes this thing, right, right, where the neighborhood... She actually starts charging neighborhood kids five cents to see the display of Sylvia's naked body um, and get their chance to tie or beat her. So on October 22nd, John torments Sylvia by offering to allow her to eat a bowl of soup with her fingers, and then, of course, he quickly takes it away from her when she tries to eat. At this point, she's suffering from extreme malnourishment. So this is like a really cruel... I mean, yeah. even though it doesn't sound as bad as some of the abusive it's stuff, just awful. it's like an awful torment like that yeah. he's putting her through. Gertrude eventually allows Sylvia to sleep upstairs on the condition that she learns not to wet herself. That night before Sylvia goes to bed, she, she begs Jenny to get her a glass of water before she falls asleep. She wakes up the morning and she has wet the bed. I mean, it's just like... There's no winning for her in this situation because obviously she's parched and like dehydrated, but she's also having this incontinence problem and whatever. I mean, it's just horrible. So she gets punished. Um, She's forced to once again masturbate with the the Coca-Cola bottle in the presence of um, Gertrude and all of the children. Jesus Christ. So shortly after that, Gertrude shouts to Sylvia to return to the kitchen and orders her to strip naked before proclaiming to her, you have branded my daughters, now I am going to brand you. She sits Sylvia down and begins carving with like a heated um, needle, I think. I'm a prostitute and proud of it onto her abdomen with a heated, uh, yeah, with a heated needle. That is a lot of words. Uh, yeah. When Gertrude is unable to finish the branding, she instructs one of the neighborhood kids who are present, um, a 14-year-old named Richard Hobbs, to finish etching the words into her stomach. Gertrude later taunts Sylvia by claiming she'll never be able to marry due to the words carved into her stomach, saying, Sylvia, what are you going to do now? You can't get married now. What are you going to do? She is then taken back to the basement. Later that day, Sylvia is forced to display the carving to the neighborhood children, with Gertrude claiming that she had received the inscription at a sex party. That night, Sylvia confides to her sister uh, this, and it's really sad. Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I am going to die. I can tell it. Gertrude was also starting to worry about Sylvia's death and began to prepare. The following day, Gertrude woke Sylvia up and forced her to write a letter as she dictated exactly what the letter would say. This was intended to mislead her parents into believing their daughter had run away from the home at some point. Um, the other things that were in the letter was that Uh, Sylvia basically left the home because she agreed to engage in sex acts with a group of boys who then um, abuse and beat and torture her body. So this is all in the letter, but it's like, well, why would she write this letter after all of this stuff happened, right? Like, um, Sylvia finishes writing the letter, and then Gertrude sort of finishes formulating her plan. She wants to have John, her son, and Jenny blindfold Sylvia and take her to a nearby wooded area known as Jimmy's Forest and leave her there basically to die. And that's where she'll be found with this letter. It's a stupid fucking plan. I mean, Gertrude is evil and not very bright at all. Right. 
So that's her plan that she's going to put together to kind of take the heat off of them for basically causing Sylvia's death. After she finishes writing the letter, uh, Sylvia was then again tied back down in the basement on the stairs and offered crackers to eat, although she refused them, saying, give it to the dog, I don't want it. For refusing the food, she is beaten. Um, on October 25th, Sylvia actually attempts to scrape, escape from the basement after she overhears the conversation they're having about that what they're, they're planning to do with her. So she attempts to flee the front door. Obviously, she is extensively injured and weak at this point, so she's caught before she can escape the property. Sylvia is then given toast to eat, but unable to consume it because she's so dehydrated she can't even swallow food at this point. Gertrude basically forces the food into her mouth. It's like this weird thing, like, we're going to murder her, but at the same time, we, we need to, like, make her live. Like, do you know Until what I mean? They're, like, freaking her. out. I don't know what their motivation is in feeding her. I think they're they're kind of they're freaking out. They're trying to time it or something? I think it's more that they're freaking out. Like, maybe they're like, well, we, we don't want to kill her, but if she's going to die anyway, we need to bring her to the floor. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like a weird dual, like, goal here. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That evening, Sylvia also attempts to alert the neighbors to her abuse and what's going on. She starts screaming for help and hitting the walls of the basement. Um, Meanwhile, all these fucking neighbors are right. evil, too. I mean, the neighbors, yeah, exactly. In the morning of October 26th, she is unable to speak intelligently um, or intelligibly. Um, she has really, her movements are no longer coordinated. Like, she's really in a state now of shock, I think. Gertrude moves her back into the kitchen. She props her up against the wall and attempts to give her a donut and a glass of milk. Now, Sylvia can't eat it, basically, and she throws Sylvia to the floor in frustration. Like, now she's, like, so desperate to get her to eat. And then when Sylvia can't do it, it's like she, you know, it's equally frustrating to her. Um, She even puts the milk to her lips, but she just literally can't even drink. She's returned to the basement. Shortly after that, Sylvia really becomes delirious. She starts mumbling. Um, Paula goes downstairs and asks her to recite the alphabet, like to see what her state is, I guess. Uh, Sylvia is obviously unable to do that. She gets through like four letters, and then she basically just collapses on the ground. Paula starts to threaten her to do the alphabet or that she's going to hurt Sylvia. But Sylvia is just like, I mean, it's an insane thing to be doing, obviously. Uh, So... That afternoon, several of Sylvia's other tormentors come and gather in the basement Just, once more. Ugh. Sylvia is in a real state of delirium at this point. She is moving her arms in an attempt to point at the faces of the tormentors she could recognize, making statements like, you're Ricky, you're Gertie. Like, she's saying them all, and Gertrude is, like, shouting at her, shut up, you know who I am, because she won't, she doesn't recognize Gertrude in this. It's like, that's, like, a weird moment to get, like, sensitive like, you don't know me? Like, Gertrude's actually mad about that. Like, that's how sick she is. In an attempt to clean her, because at this point she's very dirty, uh, John sprays her with a garden hose. Sylvia again attempts to exit the basement, but collapses before she can reach the stairs. Gertrude pretty much just st- steps on her to keep her from going forward. Um, basically, Stephanie then decides to give Sylvia a warm, soapy bath to kind of revive her. So it is almost like the first act of kindness that's happening now. She's like, well, maybe I'll help revive her by giving her this bath. But as she's carrying uh, Sylvia out of the basement, Sylvia stops breathing, and she's dead at 16 years old. When Stephanie realizes that she has died just in that moment, she attempts to give her mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and then continues to put her in the bath and like is washing her and bathing her. Gertrude is is shouting at her daughter and at the children that Sylvia was not was not dead, that she's faking her death, as if that's like her way of getting attention. So this is around 5:30 p.m. that day. Richard Hobbs returns to the residence and he proceeds to the basement where he sees the scene. He actually slips on the basement floor, which is wet from when she got hosed, and he falls uh, to the floor. And then he sees that the sight he sees is Stephanie crying and holding Sylvia, who is basically just an emaciated skeleton at this point. And, and Richard's one of the neighbor boys? Yes. He's the one who finished the um, etching right. in her stomach. So. 
at this point, everyone is fucking panicking, obviously, because whatever. They <laughs> murdered the Sylvia is dead. They didn't go through their stupid plan. Um, Gertrude, Gertrude finally accepts that Sylvia is dead. She instructs Richard Hobbs to call the police from a nearby payphone. When police arrive at her address, Gertrude hands them the letter that she had forced Sylvia to write. She also claims that... Um, she had been doctoring the child for over an hour, um, and she um, she had been trying to run away from the residence, and, you know, she's just going through this whole spiel, and she really tries to play up the story. Like, I think she went out with these teen boys, and then she ran back bare-breasted with this letter. So she's what? still trying to make that story work, yeah. like that she went to the forest. What an idiot. Gertrude also says, I was rubbing alcohol on her wounds, Um she claimed that Sylvia was an uncontrollable and promiscuous. She states that Sylvia returned to the house after this sex session. Like, so she's still demoralizing she's still like, her yeah. even after she's dead. At some point while the police are there, Paula glances in Jenny's direction and calmly says to her while clutching a Bible, if you want to live with us, Jenny, we'll treat you like our own sister. So they're trying to get her, manipulate her right. now, I think. As previously um, instructed... Jenny recites her rehearsed version of the events that led up to Sylvia's death shortly um, after 5.30 p.m. that afternoon to the police before whispering to the officers, you get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. <gasps> so that statement that was provided by Jenny Likens combined with all of the evidence, obviously Sylvia did not look like a child who was healthy, um, uh, prompted the officers to arrest Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie, and John, Richard Hobbs, and Coy Hubbard on suspicion of her murder. Five other neighborhood children who had participated in her abuse um, were also arrested on October 29th. They were all caused, um, sorry, charged with causing injury to a person, and each was sub um, released into the custody of their parents. And they actually didn't really face any pu um, punishment because they were going to be witnesses in the upcoming trial. Now, the autopsy on Sylvia's body revealed that she had suffered in excess of 150 separate wounds across her entire body um, at the time of her death. The wounds were all in various locations, severity, like length time, of time, right. like all of that kind of stuff. Just so they could was, tell it was prolonged. It was long, prolonged abuse, obviously. Um, other bruises uh, she had severe bruising. She had burns. She had muscle and nerve damage, obviously, from the um, traumatic, like, Coke bottle stuff. Like, her vagina was completely, like, just swollen shut almost. Um, they also examined her to determine if her hymen was still intact, and it was. So she was still a virgin. Like, she was never any of the things that Gertrude accused her of, like being pregnant, being promiscuous. All of that stuff is obviously a lie and now proven. Um, all of her fingernails were broken. Uh, she had actually bitten through her lip in her like last moments in her death throes. The official cause of death was listed as being a subdermal, I'm sorry, subdural hematoma. And that was due to a blow she must have suffered at some point to her head. But shock and um, obviously severe malnutrition were also contributory factors right. to her death. Um, she did have a funeral um, and, like, over 100 mourners in attendance at the funeral. Her her casket um, at the funeral had a portrait of her from, like, way before her yeah. death. Uh, uh, in his eulogy, the reverend said, we, have, we all have our time of passing, but we won't suffer like our little sister suffered during her last days of life. She has now gone to eternity. Her headstone uh, was inscribed with the words, Our Darling Daughter. 
On December 30th, 1965, a grand jury was convened and returned first-degree murder indictments against Gertrude and Paula and John. Also indicted were Richard Hobbs and Coy Hubbard, and they were charged with having repeatedly struck, beat, and kicked um, and inflicting these fatal injuries to um, Sylvia with premeditated malice. Stephanie um, had been released from custody for insufficient evidence, and she actually chose to waive her immunity from um, prosecution and agreed to testify against her family in the trial for Sylvia's murder. Um, the trial of Gertrude and her children and Richard and Sequoy began on April 18th. They were actually all tried together because they all acted in concert. Right. And the logic was that it was a collective crime and you had to know all parts of it to convict one or the other. Like. It, basically, the judge wanted to get the total picture. Most of the attorneys claimed their clients had been pressured into participating in Sylvia's torment and abuse by Gertrude. Gertrude chose to plead not guilty by reason of sanity, insanity. On May 2nd and, and May 3rd, Jenny Likens testified, and this is definitely the most devastating blow against these guys. Right. Uh, she basically goes through the whole thing, talking about all the abuse that her sister did, how no one did anything to help her. And one of the saddest revelations in my mind that she made was that Sylvia had been unable to produce tears due to her acute state of dehydration. And she said that she would see Sylvia burst into tears, but nothing, no tears would come out because she didn't even have the fluid in her body right. to create them. She also told... Uh, the courtroom about her saying that she was going to die like the night before she died. Um, a lot of Jenny's testimony is corroborated by Randy Lepper, who um, stated that he also witnessed Sylvia crying with no actual, no, no actual tears. He also confessed to beating uh, Sylvia anywhere from 10 to 40 separate in instances. Now, later during the trial, uh, some of the other kids testified um, about how Gertrude had recruited them. One girl named Anna Sisko recalled how Gertrude told her that Sylvia had been saying about her, quote, she said my mother went out with all sorts of men and got $5 to, to go to bed with them. So she would rile up She would rile other up kids. other kids saying Sylvia was spreading rumors. So Anna obviously doesn't even bother to find out if this is true. Gertrude tells her, I don't care what you do to Sylvia, and invites her to the home and watches as Anna beats up Sylvia, basically. Now, Gertrude did choose to testify in her own defense. She obviously denies any responsibility for Celia's prolonged abuse and torment and death, claiming the children, and, um, her children and other children in the neighborhood must have committed the acts within her home, like, without her knowledge. Oh, come on. Uh, she described her home as being a madhouse and added that she had been too preoccupied with her own health and depression to control any situation that was happening in her home. 11-year-old Marie also goes up to the stand as a witness for the defense, and she breaks down and admits that she had been forced to heat the needle which Hobbs had used to brand Sylvia's uh, stomach. Marie also testifies that um, although the five defendants had repeatedly physically and mentally tormented Sylvia, she had most often witnessed her mother and sister committing the acts. So all of Gertrude's testimony is absolute fucking bullshit. Another witness testified that Paula had openly bragged about breaking her own wrist due to the severity of the beating she gave Sylvia. Um, and the witness then stated that after Paula bragged about that, she said, I tried to kill her. In closing arguments before the jury, Gertrude's lawyer said, I condemn her for being a murderess. That's what I do. But I say she is not responsible because she's not all here. 
Uh, if this woman is sane, put her in the electric chair. She committed acts of degradation that you wouldn't commit on a dog. She has to be crazy or she wouldn't have permitted that. You'll have to live with your conscience for the rest of your life if you send an insane woman to the electric chair. I could uh, live with it. <laughs> I could live with her going. I know, right? I am always kind of conflicted with as I am against the death penalty, but every once in a while I'm like, well, I'm not going to like lose sleep over that one. <laughs> like Jesus. Um, so the trial of the... The five defendants last 17 days. The jury um, comes back with their verdict on May 19th, 1966. After deliberating for eight hours, they find Gertrude guilty of first-degree murder, recommending that she serve life in prison. Paula is also found guilty of second-degree murder. Hobbs, Hubbard, and John Jr. are found guilty of uh, Sylvia's manslaughter. Basically, when he announces this, the judge, Gertrude and her children all burst into tears. Um, Hobbs and Hubbard actually just kind of remain stone-faced at the verdict. On May 25th, uh, Gertrude and Paula are formally sentenced to life in prison. Um, the boys, Richard, Coy, and John, all receive sentences of 2, 16, and 22, 21 years, uh, respectively. Not that much time. Yeah. Uh, in 1970, the Indiana Supreme Court reverses the convictions of Gertrude and Paula on the basis that they believable. had requested a change of venue, and I guess that they couldn't get a fair trial in their neighborhood. Uh, so the pair is retried in 1971. On this t this time around, Paula opts to plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter rather than face retrial, and she's sentenced to a term of between two and 20 years. Uh, for the for the uh, death of Sylvia. Gertrude, however, is once again convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison again. Now, over the next 14 years, Gertrude becomes a model prisoner in the Indiana woman's prison. She works in the prison sewing shop, and she becomes sort of a den mother to the younger female inmates. Uh, by the time she uh, applies for parole in 1985, she's described as... 85? Yeah, 1985. She's described as a devout Christian and known to like all the people as mom, which is just fucking gross to me. Like, yeah. So she's going up for parole in 1985. Uh, the news of her impending parole hearing creates an uproar in Indiana. Jenny Likens and her family appear on TV and speaking out against her release. Yeah. They start collecting signatures from the citizens of Indiana, basically like begging them to keep her behind bars for life. Uh, despite all of these efforts, Gertrude was granted parole. During the parole hearing, she said to the parole board, I'm not sure what role I had in Sylvia's death because I was on drugs. I never really knew her. I take full respons responsibility for what happened to Sylvia, though. Uh, they kind of basically took her good behavior in prison into account, and she was released from prison on December 4th, 1985. That's unreal. Yeah. So following her release from prison, Gertrude basically relocates. She changes her name. She basically takes the thing like she can't recall. She doesn't remember what happened. She was very Jeez. sick, uh, this kind of thing. And then she keeps blaming the drugs she took for asthma, but I can't... What drugs do you take for asthma that would lead to that, right? Like, Right. I don't I mean, know. I mean, I don't know enough about it, but it's like... Also... That's like the worst excuse ever. You don't do prolonged torture. It doesn't on really matter because yeah. you're. It doesn't matter if you're a drug addict. If you do right. pro prolonged torture on someone, you're a monster either way. The good news is that Gertrude dies uh, right after she's released from uh, prison. She's diagnosed with lung cancer, so she basically suffers a horrible 
disease for five years before eventually dying in 1990 at the age of 61 from like terminal lung cancer. Obviously, it's terminal. Uh, when she dies, obviously, this is a big um, news story. A former reporter for the Indianapolis Star who covered the trial he said, I never thought she was insane. I thought she was a downtrodden, mean woman. Another mean. person. That's like yeah, such a I euphemism. Mean, but yeah, I kind of get it though. It's like, she's just a bitter old mean bitch. Well, like, yeah, no, I yeah, never, it's like, I know, I agree that she's not insane. I agree that she's just evil. I just think yeah, mean, mean is so funny. Yeah, mean sounds a little bit like, <laughs> sounds a little like light. someone who popped a balloon with a cigarette or right. something. <laughs> right, that's yeah. mean. Yeah. Uh, another person said she had a miserable life. What I think this was ultimately was about jealousy. And then Jenny Likens, who by this point, you know, she's married and uh, has kids her reaction was pretty funny to me. She uh, sees the obituary in the newspaper. She clips it from the newspaper and mails it to her mother with a note that said, some good news, damn old Gertrude died. Ha, ha, ha. I am happy about that. <laughs> I just love the idea of writing out ha, ha, ha. Like right. in the age before like texting. LOL. Like, yeah. Um, Jenny, uh, she does die of a heart attack in 2004 at the age of 54. So, I mean, she had a short life. That's sad. But a lot of shitty ends for the other shitty people in oh, this yay, story. So I'm going to touch on those. <laughs> Just a little cheer up part for us. Um, so Paula, you know, she gets out early, early. too because she was not, she kind of made that deal the second time around. She actually starts working as a local school counselor for disabled children. No, no. Yes. And she also has a different name, but she gets discovered in 2012. She's fired uh, when they find out who she is. <gasps> Stephanie also assumes a new, new name and becomes a teacher. She has like a little Why bit Why are a, they working with children? <laughs> I don't know. But Stephanie was kind of like the better one. I mean, I'm not going to rank them, but like she wasn't <laughs> Paula, who was definitely the eviler one. Um, and she did testify against her family. Um, so she kind of, yeah, I mean, whatever. All The other kids, by the way, the younger kids who were all put up for adoption after her, their mom was arrested. So that's kind of good for them. Richard, Coy, and John all served less than two years, by the way, in prison. Richard, though, luckily, he dies of cancer um, just four years after being released. He's only 21 years old at this time. So that's good. Um, <laughs> Coy Hubbard also dies uh, at the age of 56 of a massive heart attack. And John, I think, uh, he becomes a minister at some point, helping counsel divorced children of divorced parents. Can you imagine finding out your minister's past? And that's so he definitely tries to take that, like, you know, people make mistakes and they can grow from there, da-da-da-da, like that kind of, Look, I you know. believe that more than anyone on this planet. Right. But sometimes I just have to roll my eyes a little bit and be like, maybe you need to not hang around kids. Look, he dies of um, diabetes at the age of 52. So they all kind of die young. Uh, which is it's like final destination. Yeah. Uh, the house that all of this torture show happened in, um, stood for many years. It got very like dilapidated. They were thinking of turning it into a woman's shelter, but they never got uh, the funds. I just feel like that's a little dark. You know what? It, it eventually did get demolished. So that's good. It's now just like basically a church parking lot or something. Yeah. They, in 2001, a statue and memorial was erected to Sylvia's uh, life and legacy. Um, and a lot of people attended the dedication cer ceremony. Um, the memorial has the words inscribed on it. This memorial is in memory of a young child who died a tragic death. 
As a result, laws changed and awareness was increased. This is a commitment to our children that the Indianapolis Police Department is working to make this a safe city for our children. Now, like if you want to find a silver lining here, this case did lead to a lot of uh, changes reforms. in the law and reforms, including what you were talking about, the mandatory reporting. Yeah. Like that basically became like we're everyone. It's not just like teachers or right. uh, everyone is sort of man- mandated to report this kind of crime or you will suffer consequences of not doing anything about it. Like you can't just let this happen. I mean, there's like a slew of laws. I just didn't want to go into it. Right. But it's literally all of the things about what you have to do in these situations. Right. When um, a CPS or whatever yeah. service will be called in and that you can't get away with this shit for religious reasons, for whatever, like right. uh, stuff like that. I mean, and it's so tragic. Like, I know we've talked about it before in terms of cases like, um, you know, J.C. Dugard, where there were being checks being made by social workers right. the whole time she was living there. She was like uh, a captive there. Right. But, the, you know, for whatever reason, these checks weren't good enough because right. J.C. Well, they Dugard are overworked. Is, they are overworked. For sure. Right. They don't and, have enough resources. And understaffed. But then there are some egregious errors that are made oh, and you're just like... It's all a mess yeah, for it's many mess. reasons, many different reasons. Okay. So... Two movies came out in 2007 that were based on this case. Here's the Hollywood connection. Here's the Hollywood connection, if you're wondering. Uh, that's always weird to me when, like, it's like, what was it? Like, Volcano and, like, and two Dante's movies. Peak. Yeah, when two movies come Armageddon out in the same. That happened for, impact. like, a while. That happened a few years. That was, like, the late 90s they did yeah, that. Yeah, so this happened in 2007. Two movies came out that were based on this case. Now, the first was sort of a more direct biopic, like, it was just pretty much what had happened. That one starred Catherine Keener as Gertrude and Ellen Page as Sylvia. I love both uh, of them. Yeah. Never want to watch it. It's called an American crime scene, and there are a few differences. Um, for instance, in this movie, the parents are still together, and they're going to tour in the carnival world, and they leave the girls with Gertrude. Um, uh, like I said before, in the movie, she also beats them for the non-payment, like, but... In the movie, she doesn't tell the girls when she start, finally starts to get the payment and continues to beat them because of that. So it's like a little bit more deliberate, like as if she's like, but I'm not going to tell them, but I'm right. going to still like, it's like, okay. Uh, Paula's pregnancy and the scandal surrounding it play a much major role in the movie than it was really in real life, even though it was definitely something that happened. Uh, in the movie, like probably the most dramatic change and probably like the saddest moment is there's this whole sequence where Paula starts feeling guilty. She helps Sylvia escape. Um, they escape from the house in the movie. She finds her way to her parents' house who are horrified. And then they all go back to save Jenny, but Sylvia opens the door and she sees herself dying. So it was like a hallucination sequence, which sounds so horrible to me. When I was actually reading it, I was like, oh, oh good. She gets out in the movie as if it makes a difference in real life. But it was like, I wanted her to survive in some instance. So the movie is pretty straightforward, basically all the way through, um, the other movie is called The Girls Next Door. Now, we we talk about this on the show or before the show a bit. You we said that you had. Did you show. know the movie or you saw the movie? I just know about the movie. So okay. when you said that that's the case you were doing, oh, I let out knew. that huge groan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as horrible 
as the real story is, this movie decides to knock things up a little bit, Rachel, that's which is unconscionable to me. I don't like, understand. It's like, isn't it bad enough? Isn't the real story right? Like, what did you feel like the audience would we, not like be horrified by this? Do we need you it to be to, more dramatized? It's yeah. already fucking ridiculous. So there's a lot of horrible things in this. The storyline is basically, it's like a flashback. So it's like the the modern storyline is like a guy thinks back on his childhood. He's basically the, as a kid, he knew a girl like Sylvia and didn't do enough to save her. It's kind of the gist of the movie. And I think he witnesses a lot of the abuse and like it has haunted him his whole life. So that's the gist of it. It's like, oh, poor guy. (laughs) Right? Like we're supposed to feel bad for him or something like that. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm not going to go into any of the horrible things I read that are in this movie, but I will tell you, one line I said I saw that I was like, and it was um, blowtorch clitorectomy, and I said no fucking thank you, no, girl next door. Thank you. Like seriously, can you imagine that being in a fucking movie? Like why on fucking earth would you do that if it's not true? Like I mean, even if it is true, but like if it's not true, that's what you're coming Who up. Came up with Are you that? in a fucking room pitching like right. torture ideas for this script? Like. Truly it's, demented. It's based on a real case, and they're like, let's let's pretend that something else, even more horrific, that didn't even happen, yeah. happened to her, just because we're fucking sick. I, when I saw that, I was like disgusted with the filmmakers. I'm really Sorry, upset guys. about that. So the only good thing in this movie is that the Gertrude character uh, is beaten to death with a crutch at the end. <laughs> so I was like, oh, maybe I'll All skip right, ahead. That's one redeeming quality. <laughs> the funny thing I saw was that Stephen King liked this film. He, he is quoted as saying, the first authentically shocking American film I've seen since Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer over 20 years ago. If you are easily disturbed, you should not watch this movie. If, on the other hand, you are prepared for a long look into hell suburban style, the girl next door will not disappoint. This is the dark side of the moon version of Stand By Me. <laughs> Excuse me. What? What a demented review. You know what? I lo- I'm a Stephen King stan, okay, for life. But that is the weirdest fucking comparison I've ever heard. Right. It's really weird. How is it like Stand By Me at all? I don't get it. Maybe the guy looking back on a oh, thing. Right. I don't. I have no idea. This is the, like, I'm a trying to make corny it, like, voiceover. Right. So, I mean, as I said before, like a lot of laws were um, changed, um, and I do think that it is nice that she's kind of remembered and her life is valued. So there yeah. is sort of a meaning behind that. I always think when we're talking about these crimes. It's like important to remember that, yes, this woman is horrible, the evil woman, but it is important to remember that these are innocent lives that should not have been taken. And, you know, the monsters are always fascinating because they're the aberrations. Right. Um, So, I mean, that's a good thing. But I think real people always suffer during these crimes and it's like important to remember yeah, that I think. Absolutely. Uh, sorry, I'm on my period. So maybe I'm being more sensitive, no, but it's like, I, mean, I, I do feel like it is a horrible story, but it's like, I do feel like we should not remember Sylvia and what she went through just because it's uncomfortable to hear. Like yeah. it's just, yeah, you know, it's, it's a, it's a reality. Yeah. So it's a reality. that's why I chose to do this story. And I know it's uncomfortable. Yeah. But there's a lot more you can read on this case. If yeah. you have the stomach for it, I did leave a lot of, horrific things out um but so you can look into that there's like books on it yeah um etc um Um, so yeah and that's that yeah and we'll have our mini sewed up on friday 
Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. I hope you guys like it. Totally. Um, we have gotten good feedback, so that's good. And I guess check us out on Instagram. We'll be posting some pictures. Yeah. Uh, and then we have the Facebook group if you want to chat with us. Right. We're on there occasionally. And a lot of other great people are there. So right. that's uh, Hollywood Crime Scene Friends. And as always, if you want to leave us five stars right now, you're listening, just click on over and give us five stars. <laughs> that really helps us. Yeah. And we would love you for it. Totally. So that. We have the best listeners. Yeah. We really do. We really lucked out. Yeah. Like everyone's so cool. We love, we love them. Yeah, we do. Okay. All right. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.